Let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. And our message today is on one word, but it's a very deep subject, a subject that often is very difficult to actually follow through and do, the subject of being a peacemaker. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings, we're walking through the book of Matthew, uh, beginning in chapter 5, specifically through chapter 7, and it's called Through the Eyes of Jesus. In other words, if we could view life through Jesus' lens, what type of conclusions will we come to about all sorts of things that we encounter? So let's just look as we begin in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 this morning. The Bible says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons or the children of God. What an interesting statement. In a way, Jesus is saying what we often say today, like father, like son. Isn't it funny when you meet people and the sons so resemble the fathers that it's just like, I don't know what your son's name is, sir, but you could just name him Mini-Me. That's it. Like father, like son. And throughout the Bible, there is this struggle. There is this war. There is this thing called evil. And there is this person called God. And just in case anyone here is, is confused, the Bible does not teach what's, what we know as dualism. Like if you've ever seen pictures on Facebook or the internet and it's got Jesus, right? Jesus basically looks like a guy from the 70s. Okay, right? So Jesus is from the 70s. He's got his bell bottoms on by way of a white garment. And he is there. And I, no joke, I thought about showing the picture. I was like, I would show the picture to say this is what it's not like, but there's going to be somebody here that leaves like, oh. The picture is like this. Jesus has his arm down like, like, yeah, arm wrestling the devil. Jesus, this picture, Jesus is arm wrestling the devil. And the devil looks like he's been doing, I mean, pull-ups and curls. He's huge. And Jesus just looks like a dude from a band in the 70s. A lot of people think that when we talk about peace and war and freedom, especially a spiritual freedom by which God forgives every dirty thing that we've ever done and makes us brand new on the inside out, they think it's like this. If I do what Jesus says, I'm on the side of Jesus who was just able to go, like some of you 80s movies fans, over the top with Sylvester Stallone. Like Jesus was able to go over the top. So because Jesus beat Satan, therefore Jesus is the winner. Not true. Absolutely and totally incorrect. The Bible tells us that Jesus always has been. Jesus is not an angel, right? God did not just, God the Father did not just one day say, you know what? I think I'll have a son. Let me, boom, and Jesus came into being. Not that way. Jesus always has been. Jesus is not an angel. He's not God part two. He's not God subpoint. Jesus is the fullness of deity. He is God in the flesh. So as far back as Genesis, 
when God created everything and in Hebrew told behold it was it was very good. It was two thumbs up. But God gave Adam and Eve the choice. They jacked it up today. Most people don't have a choice not to sin if they're not saved, right? You're, we're slaves in sin. So everything begins to slide downhill. And this war, the long war against God. There's a great book. If you're a reader, you may want to jot it down. It's by Dr. Henry Morris. And it's called The Long War Against God. And so many of the philosophies, and many of the philosophies, Brad and Sue, that we'll deal with in Romania, the fallout of communism and atheism, we're going to be able to interact with professors and students. Check this out. Y'all don't think God is good? Let me give you this. How many of you living before the wall fell, while the Iron Curtain was still raised as high as anyone could imagine, could think, in a few years, a Baptist pastor... And people from a Baptist church in Virginia are going to go behind the Iron Curtain and share Jesus as guests of the university, the secular state university. Listen, in the great words of Ronnie Thompson, God done that. Amen. God is great. There is, there is nothing that can rival His power. So when Jesus speaks these words to these hearers, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. He's not saying this. He's not saying what many people think about peacemakers today. That if you're a peacemaker, then you avoid war and conflict. That is simply not true. One great example is Samaritan's Purse with Dr. Franklin Graham. Operation Christmas Child, if you've heard of that, to where people from the United States pack a box that's going to be sent to little kids around the world and they're going to be able to have Christmas because of the contents of that box. And there are rednecks in the world. That's the reason why they have to say, don't put any weapons or tools or anything like that because sometimes people are like, it's, just, it's not real, you know, some a pellet gun or something like in a conflict zone. Bad idea. But you know where Franklin Graham goes? You may not know this. Billy Graham's son... Whenever there's a conflict in the world, remember Darfur a couple of years ago, to was like Rwanda part two, minus the machetes, slaughter. Guess where Franklin Graham went? He put on his big boy pants, got with Jesus, and got on a plane and went there. He, he, he didn't, now I think we should be involved in every area of life, including politics. We should try to shine the light of Jesus in every way that we can. But Franklin Graham did not get on the phone and complain to his senators to send a, a military advisory team to Darfur. He went there. Isn't that cool? He went into the conflict zone to bring peace. And just something for us to, to never, never misunderstand. If we are to be peacemakers, if we are to be the ones who solve conflicts in families... Bring people to Jesus Christ so they can be saved and born again and cleansed from the inside out. We're going to have to go into dirty areas. We're going to have to interact in situations that are awkward, situations that are very tense. Because that's where the peace needs to go. Let me give it to you like this. If I said, you know what, my name Jeffrey, which you know what it means? It means peacemaker. And from what I was told, I don't remember this. When I was born, I was just, I mean, just letting it, just cutting loose, yelling. 
And the, and the doctor said to my parents, what are you going to name him? And my mom said, Jeffrey, it means peacemaker. And the doctor said, you may need to work on the peacemaker part. <laughs> and some of you, again, and that's a good thing if a child is born, they're just going at it and, and yelling. But here's the thing, if I told you that I am a peacemaker, I'm an ambassador of Jesus, I love him, I want to see his will done, but I will not go and talk to rough people in rough areas and take physical violence aside for just a few moments. For me to say that I'm a peacemaker, but if I don't ever go into those, you know what I'm talking about, those awkward situations to where you say, you know what? This may not turn out very well. This is tense. They may get angry at me. They may think that I'm trying to get in their business. Guess what? We have no business calling ourselves peacemakers if we stay away from the war zone. We okay? Now, if you're like me and you've got great friends that you enjoy being around, praise God for friendships. Praise God for family. But if all we do is just hang out with the people that are like us, then Jesus says in the end of Matthew chapter 5, around verse 46, he says that if you greet those who greet you, what do you do more than the publicans? Not the republicans, but the people, the the tax collectors and the cheats and what people consider in that day to be the scum of the earth. Jesus says to go and try to win your enemies. So what, what is the connection then between peacemakers and being sons of God? Literally, what Jesus is getting at here is in order to be a peacemaker, you have to know the God of peace. Like father, like son. Not only that, but let's look at a few elements of peacemaking. You say, Jeff, this is a great verse. I think I've already got it memorized. But what, what exactly are the components that make up peacemaking? Number one. Peacemaking never comes from pretending that there's no war when a war is raging. It's, it's, not, it's not saying everything is fine when everything is not fine. We all on the same page there? And now most of us say, it's just, it's just not a big deal. Some things are not big deals. But when it comes to relational bitterness... And resentment. And to the fact that I will not speak to this person. As it says about Joseph. You remember the story about Joseph? And and the the coat of many colors. I mean that was a big thing in that day. Today students if you go to high school middle school. And you're wearing a coat of many colors. You get beat up right? I mean in that time it, it was just. I mean it was the top of the line. And his brothers were so. Check this out. Jealous of him. And they hated him so much. They could not even speak a word to him peaceably. Not one word. In families, this can happen. To a root of bitterness, it's just like this this foreign alien twisted seed takes root inside the hearts. And it begins to grow and fester and mutate to the point to where people who believe in Jesus, or they say that they do, cannot speak a word peaceably to one another. Just, just a, just a, a news flash right here. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, there is no way you can walk with Him and hold bitterness towards somebody else. Are we all okay this morning? Because if we've been forgiven by Christ, then we are able to forgive others. I'll give you a text. It's Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 14. And God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah and saying that the preachers of that day, the prophets, would say this. 
They had healed the wound of my people lightly. In other words, they did a bad job fixing the people's spiritual problems. Saying this, quote, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see, we live in a culture today that says, I'm okay. And whatever you want to do, man, that's okay. Right? I'm okay. You're okay. And the only thing that's not okay is to say something, say that something or someone is not okay. Y'all catch that? Like if you're a follower of Jesus today and you speak out out of love for children and you speak out against abortion and you speak out of love for the women who have been through abortion, they can receive healing and forgiveness from Jesus and to try to to help young ladies who are pregnant not to make that mistake for the first time or, or again and again and again. Today you'll be called names. And if we talk about the family, about homosexuality, or about people moving in together, we'll be called out. Because it's not okay. People say, we want to make sure that everything is okay. But we can't have peace if we pretend like there's nothing wrong. And just another word that you may want to write down here. It may be in your notes. But failing to call out evil and confront evil will never lead to peace. If I act like evil is not in the room, what is evil going to do? It's going to continue like a steamroller and take out everything in its path. Personal illustration. If we act like there's nothing wrong between us and another person, Matthew chapter 18, and just act like there's nothing there and everything's fine, but we both know it's not, then what's going to happen is that it's actually enabling evil to continue. Is it tense in here or is it just me? Are y'all okay? Are you sure? Are you sure? What we have to come, and then this is something too that in the South, I mean, people in the South are polite. Like I hear from people who move into the South in this area. People are so polite here. They wave. I'm like, well, hopefully that's not all that it is. You know, you just wave at someone and then never speak to them. But, but in the South, we're really good at, at being quote unquote polite. But we as followers of Jesus Christ have to step out of the cultural mode from time to time and ask God's grace for us to be able to call out things that need calling out. Now, you don't call out other people on Facebook. Okay? You Seriously, this happens all the time where people will talk about another person and then it's one thing to debate issues, but it's one thing to call out somebody or to do it in a passive-aggressive way the Bible says that if someone, if there is not peace between you and someone, you go and tell, show them the fault between the two of you. Matthew 18. Because you see, that's what, that's what Jesus does. Jesus speaks to us individually. And he deals with us on a personal level. Now, if there is continual sin, then sometimes you'll have to bring it before the church. It's kind of like when I was in college, I had, a, I had an older Jeep, a Jeep Cherokee. And uh, had this old radio, and the radio became stuck one day. I don't know if anyone else in here has has ever had this issue, but it became stuck on volume eight out of ten. <laughs> Seriously, I couldn't I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't. So every time I got on, I think from what I remember, it was stuck on a country station. And so, no joke. Instead of dealing with the problem. I did like Charlie Brown's dad, and whenever he heard something wrong with the car, he just turns up the radio louder. Well, I didn't have to turn mine up louder. I just got little earplugs, and I put them in. And I did that for like, I mean, several weeks. And then after a while, I thought, Jeff, you're a moron. 
You're a moron. I mean, people, it's one thing to listen to music loud, but for people that say, does he have to listen to commercials that loud? And then when they look closer, they see he's got earplugs. They're like, the bro got out. Like he totally, he totally got out of the institution and they've not found him yet. But as I thought of that, I said, you know, sometimes that can be the way that we as Americans, especially Southern Christian Americans, we can deal with things by saying, well, let's just put some earplugs in and act like there is peace when there is no peace. Not only that, but peacemaking comes from recognizing the calls of war. Now, for our thinkers in here, you're noticing this is not, we're not just going through what Jesus is teaching here, but we're trying to extract principles and truths that you can apply to every area of life. This not, not only applies in a church setting, in an individual setting, but in a military setting as well. Peacemaking comes from recognizing the cause of war. You say, Jeff, what does the Bible say the cause of war is? James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says it's from selfish pleasure. Here's what the text says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or your desires are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You can translate that word desire as that or lust. You lust or desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or being an enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, the Bible tells us that peace, like war, begins on the inside and works itself to the outside. It's a misdiagnosis in our world today that says that poverty or lack of education always results in war. Now, yes, it can. But as a Christian, we must have a strong view of depravity, a strong view of sinfulness. That means that if you take a person who doesn't know Jesus and you educate them, you can make them even more of an enemy to society. Think about it. If you have a person who doesn't know much, who's not educated, and they don't love Jesus, they don't love their neighbor, they can be a danger. But if you educate evil brilliance, then you end up with, well, an Adolf Hitler. So education alone is not enough to cure the evils of what we see today. And really what James 4 is saying is that it goes back to Satan, right? Satan was not satisfied in what God gave him. And sometimes that can be easy today because literally billions of dollars are spent on us, no matter where you are, to make you dissatisfied with your life. For example, when you're, when you're watching TV... The commercials that you see on TV are telling you that you'll only be happy if you have this stuff. And then there's other commercials that have these people that are ridiculously fit to the point that it's like, that must be all that you do. You may have, I mean, they're ridiculously fit and they're basically telling you if you buy my program. Now, by the way, I'm all for physical fitness, okay? We should take good care of what God has given us. But there's a fine line between health and idolatry of the body. 
Culture tells us today, if you want to be happy as lady, happy ladies, you just start this program so you can look like this lady. Guys, if you want to be all the man that you can be, you get ripped up abs like this guy. And what it's telling us without saying it this bluntly is that you don't have enough to be satisfied without this. When we come to the Word of God, we see that Jesus is worthy. And if you have Jesus, then that's ultimately all that you need. Because one day all that we have will be stripped away and it will be only Jesus. Those of you who study history know that in the 1930s, early 1940s, there was a company in Germany called IG Farben. Any of you ever wonder where did this, where the Zyklon B gas came from? that gassed all of those peoples and the people in Nazi death camps. It wasn't just a Nazi general in a back room manufacturing this. It was. It would be kind of like the IG Farben was so big, it would be like Apple put together with a manufacturing company of, of just, I mean, large numbers of goods and, and with Walmart, something like that. It was absolute economic industrial giant in Germany. And yet, I.G. Farben, those were the ones who the Nazis were in bed with and in collaboration with. So war and brutality and evil profited the company. You say, Jeff, that's horrible. I'm glad in the Nuremberg trials, after that, they broke up the company. And the heads of the head of the company, those guys were thrown in prison. And those guys were punished. But I want to pose a question to all of us, and it's simply this. Do we really want peace? In our relationships. Do we, do we really want peace? Or, and this is a question all of us have to answer. Or, when we hear that little tasty morsel of gossip. That word about someone else like, oh, well I didn't know that. Tell me more. Those types of things like, no, no, re- oh, no, no, really. And we kind of thrive on that. Because we enjoy hearing about other people because that can make us feel better about ourselves. The great Russian novelist uh, Dostoevsky, he wrote the book, The Brothers Karamazov, a fantastic book about, about understanding evil. And he wrote this, he says, For man loves to see the downfall and the disgrace of the righteous. It's easy for us to want to see what's in other people and to hear gossip. The question is, do we really want peace? Not only that, but another element or essential of peacemaking is that peacemaking is made by those who know God because peace comes from God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15 that the gospel, what we preach about Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, it is the gospel of peace. This is a beautiful picture from the Bible. The word peace from the New Testament literally means to sit down in one's heart. Have you ever been through that time in your life to where there was no peace to be had? Work was a drama. Home life was terrible. Couldn't get along with your spouse. It seemed like everywhere you turned there was problem after problem after problem. The peace of Christ is such that when He comes to control our lives and we follow Him, He will allow us to be able to sit down in our hearts. You say, Jeff, what does it mean to know God? When we say that peace comes from God, What does it mean to truly know God? It means to enter into a relationship with God by grace through faith. It means to say, God, I am drowning and I need you to throw me the the life raft. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. I love this quote. He says, a drowning man does not analyze the rope that is flung at him 
nor an impassioned lover consider the chemistry of his mistress's complexion. No, when the real deal is that I love this person or I need to be saved. You focus on the big issues and that is knowing God. You say, Jeff, I want to be a peacemaker in my life. I want to be one that brings these warring parties together and reconcile. How is that done if you walk with Jesus? Now there is going to be some times to where you cannot choose for another person. Have you all realized that yet? You pray. Sometimes you fast. You ask, you say, God, please, please bring this person to, to a state of repentance and brokenness. Please bring them to be reconciled. But the person's heart is hard. Guess what? Even through that person's hardness of heart, God can make your soft. He can use that in your life to so give you a connection to other people who have been through the same thing that you can tell them, you know what? The the peace has still not been carried out between these people, but I know that God is able. Amen, church? It goes back to that great song. And thank you, Fred, for picking that. It's an old school song, but so true. That faith is the victory. Not just faith in anything, but faith in the one, Jesus, who has come and has already given us the victory. And I don't know whether you're depressed or you're defeated this morning. But what you need to understand, child of God saved person, that Jesus has already won the victory and that all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So if you're praying, you're fasting, you're you're saying, God, please, please use me. Fix this situation. Use me in a great way. Like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, Here am I, Lord, send me. God will do great things with you. Your humility and your brokenness through the trials and through the lack of peace and through the wars. Actual wars or wars at home that will eventually bring glory to God. And peacemaking, not only that, but it occurs when enemies are reconciled. Let me give you a verse. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. The Bible says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The word reconcile literally means the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. It means I'm going to lay down my sword. I'm going to lay down my weapon of war and humble myself. There are people today who say, you know what, Jeff? I'll make it right when they make it right. There is nowhere in the Bible, friends, that we can find that tells us we do the right thing only after someone else does it first. The Bible tells us that we are to be like Christ, that we are to mirror Him. And the Bible tells us in 1 John that it was not us who loved God first, remember. But He was the one who loved us first. God took the initiative. God took the initiative to come. He took the initiative in calling us to be saved. So what that means is that we should take the initiative and reconciliation. And if you're a Christian and you refuse to do that, you are in sin and you are in rebellion to God and there is no way that His hand of blessing will be anywhere near your life. You say, Jeff, that's a hard word. It's not my word. It's the words of Jesus inspired through James. And it says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud because the proud give excuses. 
There may be some of you today, and you know that you need to follow Jesus. It's today. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not when we get back from Romania. It's today. It's today. You know that you need to get saved today. But pride says, I'll do it later. Because God says today. If you have issues of reconciliation with someone, God says today. Amen? Pride says, God, I'll do it whenever I'm ready. I love what Francis Chan says. He says, it's kind of like the parent coming in. And some of you parents, you know, you've got your kids or, or when you grandkids, right? And you go in in the play area and their room basically looks like nuclear war happened. I mean, it is just death and destruction everywhere. And you say, sweetie, honey, time to clean your room. Why don't you clean your room? I'm going to go in here and, you know, do something productive. I'm going to go watch dad. This is coming from dad. I'm going to go watch sports center. All right. I'm going to do something productive. And I want you to clean your room. And the child says, okay, I understand. I understand that you told me to clean my room. This room Thou has commanded me to clean it. This room. Got it. Check. We are tracking intellectually, Dad. Thank you, Father. And then Dad leaves. And he comes back in 15 minutes, and the kid has not done one thing. And the dad says, well, I told you, I told you to clean your room. Yes, Dad. <clears throat> Son, daughter, clean your room. Unquote. Dad, chapter 1, verse 1. I said, well, I didn't want you to just memorize the words that I said. I wanted you to actually clean your room. I've got to go and run some errands. Your mom will be in here. I'm going to come back, and I want you to clean your room. We'll be back in 30 minutes. Come back. The room's still not clean. And the child says, well, you know what? I I memorized your words, Dad. Aren't you proud of me? You told me to clean my room. I can quote it backwards and forwards. Love you, Dad. The dad may say, well, I have something hanging up, and it's called the Proverbs Principle. Uh, it's called the, my dad always called it the Board of Education. All right, that's what he called it. By the way, kids, if you ever have the Board of Education applied to you, don't do like I tried to do and stick a matchbox, matchbox car in your back pocket and clinch up real tight. It actually broke the ping pong paddle and I was so proud of myself. No joke. I said, well, if I do that, maybe it'll break it. He won't spank me anymore. I didn't realize that China makes a lot of those. A lot of them. And they're real, real cheap. It's a great point by Francis Chan. He says, it's not that, that the father is telling us, I want you to memorize my words. I want you to do what I said. But in churches all over America, in Christian families, there's so much drama. There really is. We don't speak anymore. Really? Who's going to take the first step? That brings us to to our, our final point, that peace comes through sacrifice. Peace comes through sacrifice. If there is going to be reconciliation, you must humble yourself. And if the other person is humbling themselves, praise God. You should meet them there. There should be mutual brokenness and humility to where we say, it is not all about me. Let me give you a couple of texts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now these things are from God who reconciled to us himself through Christ. Notice the word reconcile again. It's the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. Not only that, but he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, I love this. The Bible says, now the God of peace, isn't that good? He is the author and the one who's able to lay the smacketh down to bring peace. He's the one who can corral evil and will ultimately one day throw it into the lake of fire. He is the one. Here it goes. The God of peace who brought us from the dead, brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Some of you may remember the uh, serial killer named Gary Ridgway. He was one of the I guess we could say the most successful serial killer in history. And one of the things that if you ever go back and and look at the interviews and that they note is that Gary Ridgway was able to recount all of those horrific deeds in detail, but do it with zero emotion. Even the law enforcement officials that had to deal with him basically said that it unnerved them. It was like he was, he had no feeling or no soul. But then in his sentencing, person after person who had had a daughter or a wife or a sister murdered just spewed bitterness. I hope you rot in hell, you dirty. Time and time again. And Gary Ridgway sat there motionless, no emotion. And then there was was an older man with a snow white beard. I wrote this down here. A t-shirt, rainbow suspenders, and a stomach like Santa Claus. And he did something shocking. He expressed to Gary Ridgway, this serial killer, that this, he says, I have been so broken by the loss of my daughter. I miss her, but because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I forgive you. And something very interesting happened at the trial. Gary Ridgway did a double take, looked at the man, and the man says, I forgive you. This serial killer broke down and was barely able to utter the words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, time and time again. The hint of the love and the reconciliation from Christ through this man who had been destroyed was the thing that brought brokenness to a serial killer. Say, Jeff, How are we to put this into practice? Our action point is very simple. is to seek the peace of Jesus Christ by seeking out those who have no peace. Lost or saved, because if you know of a Christian and they are outside of the will of God, they are not in peace. And when you've found them, you point them to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. It's a story from church history about the Roman Colosseum of the 4th century. The men were being killed, slaughtered. If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, very historical. And there was a a Christian monk named Telemachus who had made a journey to Rome. He had never been there before. It was from an outlying area. 
And as he sat there, he was absolutely horrified to see these men in the prime of their life slaughtering each other for sport. And as he looked at the crowds, remember the bread and circuses? The Romans, would, uh, whoever was going to try to rise politically, would simply give people bread and circuses. That was their way of buying votes. And he saw the people were absolutely drunk with bloodlust. And then Telemachus stood up and he said, In the name of Christ, forbear. Stop. No one listened. His voice got louder and louder. He was so, he was so torn up on the inside. He saw just, blood, just slaughter. In the name of Christ, forbear. No one, no one would listen. And then he jumps down into the Colosseum, into the killing pit of Rome. And he runs from gladiator to gladiator. And he begs them, in the name of Christ, forbear. The name of Christ was well known by that time in the Roman Empire. And there were some of the gladiators that stopped fighting. And then the hush began to come on the crowd. And there were some of those Romans who saw Telemachus, saw his mercy and saw his ministry of reconciliation stopping their beloved blood sport. And they began to yell down into the Colosseum, into the pit, kill him, kill him. And Telemachus wouldn't stop. He continued to go to the gladiators and say, for the name of Christ, in the name of Christ, forbear, stop. And finally, one of the gladiators listened to the crowd and he, and he killed, he killed the Christian. The hush came on the crowd. They had never seen anything like that before. A man who was willing to put himself in the war zone to bring reconciliation between mortal enemies. And it wasn't too long after that that the emperor of the Roman, the, the empire of the whole known world at that time, the Roman emperor, banned the gladiatorial games from Rome forever. If you've ever been to Rome, if you see pictures, there's no more blood that's being spilled there because a man was moved by God to say, I'm not going to live in a land of peace when there are those who are at war. I am drawn by the Spirit of God to seek out reconciliation. Now, some of us may be called to drop into a hot zone, a war zone like Franklin Graham, a first responder, but many of us, what God is calling us to do is very basic, but is very hard. Those people that we know in our lives that there is huge static between. There is no peace between us and them. We feel that we cannot serve Christ. We cannot pray because there is such a, an issue at home, at work, with our friends. The call of Jesus is very simple. Blessed, favored, blessed, encouraged, Loved upon by God, the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Like father, like son. So, let's bow our heads and close our eyes so that we're not distracted. This is our invitation. It's a very simple invitation this morning. And it's this. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to bring peace between you and the person with whom right now it's war. Open war, shadow war, 
no talking, war, doesn't matter. This is for the believers. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, there is no way you can walk in bitterness and unforgiveness, lack of peace with those in your life. Right now, examine your heart. Don't examine theirs. Sure, they're probably wrong in some regard, but examine yours. And say as the psalmist in Psalm 51, God, search me and see if there be any, any wicked way within me. See Christ right now. I'm sure there are some that the Holy Spirit is telling you as soon as possible today, not tomorrow, today, be reconciled. Life is too short. Life is too short to live in bitterness and waste it. Waste it with a lack of peace. There are others of you and you know someone who is far from Jesus. They're an enemy of God. They've never been saved. Ask God to give you brokenness for them. Intercede for them. Say, oh God, please use me. Use anything. Use anyone. Please bring them to a state of peace with you. Save them, God. We're going to open up our front here. We, we call it an altar. And an altar is a place of sacrifice. It's an opportunity for you to, to be humble before God. Not to, not to be in a show towards anyone here. But it's an opportunity for you to come pray. Come pray for others. To pray for yourself. I'm begging you, please, please don't waste your life with putting off what God says to do now, which is to be reconciled. Because he says in his word how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity. If you've never given your life to Christ, why don't you do that now? I'm going to be standing here in the center, and when we stand to sing, I'm going to give you the opportunity to to walk down, and I'll take you by the hand and pray for you. If you've never followed Christ in believer's baptism, why don't you come? If you, if you know that God is leading you to join this church, why don't you come today? Don't put it off. Father, this is your invitation. Would you please be merciful to us? And give us the strength and wisdom to be reconciled. And help all those who need to make commitments and decisions to come. And we ask this in Jesus' name.